to head upstairs, be a part of our kids' crew worship time. This is a time of worship designed just for them. And each and every week that our kids head upstairs, of course, we've got great leaders that go with them. And so as our leaders make their way up there, I also just want to use this as an opportunity to brag on the many people who invest in the lives of our children, our young people. Uh, your work makes, uh, makes all the difference, and, and so we want to say thank you for all of our people who do that. We're going to be in James chapter 2 this morning. We're working our way through the book of James, a study that we've entitled Faith That Works. And so as we study this particular passage in James this morning, actually what we're going to do is pick up a, a few verses that we looked at last week and add that into the text that we studied today. Last week we studied James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Today we're going to start in verse 8 and go to verse 13. Verses 8 and 9 are sort of the link that link these two parts together and, and really make it all a part of, of the whole. And, and so by linking up with these verses that we studied last week, we're going to fit all of this into its right context and just continue to build on the lessons that James is teaching us as we work our way through the letter that he has written. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 in just a moment. As we do that, let me sort of lay the groundwork for this morning's message by saying this, that if, if you have ever made a mistake, if you have ever sinned, if you are anything other than perfect, then today's message is for you as we study this passage. And I'm pretty sure that that basically lumps all of us together in the same boat on this one because uh, I know I'm not perfect and uh, I'm pretty sure you're not too, right? And so as we study this text this morning, I want you to not just hear these words, but I want you to find yourself in these words as we, as we read and study these verses together. So let's, let's begin in verse 8, read to verse 13, and then I want to go back and, and give an explanation of this. We read, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the, the scripture, and then the royal law is given to us here, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, remember last week we talked about that word partiality could also be the word favoritism. That's really the meaning there. If you show favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so this, this text this morning is teaching us not only about the law and not only about our failures, our inadequacies in light of the law, but then even more than that, how we ought to live and importantly how we ought to treat each other in light of the mercy that we have been given when we deserve judgment. Let's study this together. I don't know if you've ever had to go before a judge for any particular reason. When I was 16 years old, the only time in my life I've ever had to go before a judge, when I was 16 years old, I got a speeding ticket. And, uh, and I totally deserved it, right? I mean, I was, uh, I was speeding and caught going, I don't even remember, to be honest with you exactly, but 
fast enough, right? Fast enough that, that there was no doubt. I was speeding. I was in the wrong and had to go before the judge. And in the process of doing all that, I remember that there was, uh, th- there was the moment when you go to court and you appear before the judge and, and basically you're told that this is what you need to do. He's going to ask you a question that you need to say this, you know, and uh, they're gonna, what they're going to do is they're going to give you some, they're going to give you some time that you need to come and sit in and watch court, and you're going to have to have so many hours of sitting in on court, and, and you're going to be under probation for so many months, so long as you don't get in trouble again, and, you know, at six months, whatever it was, then, then this just all gets wiped off of your record one of these days. And in that moment, as I stood before the judge and kind of went through the motions, did everything that I was told I was supposed to do, right, do all of these things, imagine, imagine that as I appear before the judge, that he looks at the case, routine thing, right? 16-year-old kid who was speeding, says that he was speeding, acknowledges that he was wrong, willing to do whatever he's supposed to do to make restitution. And imagine that the judge would have looked at me and said to me, okay, Mr. Butler, I see that you have acknowledged that you were guilty, that you, that you were speeding. And so because you were guilty of speeding, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold you guilty for breaking all of our laws. Because as a violator of this law, now you are accountable for all of the laws. And so I am sentencing you to death because you have been caught speeding. Now that doesn't make any sense to us, right? Uh, that seems like that seems like even more than just a slippery slope that we would do the one thing and be caught for the one thing and now be held accountable for violating all of the laws. And so in our minds sometimes when we read this, we think to ourselves, what is, how could I possibly be guilty of violating all of the law? How could I be held accountable for all of the law because of my sins? Yes, I've sinned. Yes, I've done some things that are wrong. But how could I possibly be held accountable for all of it? I mean, I, I've just done these things and the truth is that my, my good is far way outweighed my bad. And there are a lot of people who go through life with this kind of, this line of thinking. There's no possible way that I could be sentenced before God for death, for punishment, sentenced to deserve the full wrath of God in, in punishment in hell because of the things that I've done. I've really been a pretty good person. And yet this passage this morning clearly teaches us this truth. That if you have violated the law at even one point, you are now guilty and held accountable for all of the law. And so as we dig in this morning, I want us to see this basic truth, this basic tenet in verse 10. That because we have sinned, we are guilty and deserving of God's wrath. Preachers don't preach a lot these days about sin and wrath, right? Uh, you, don't, you don't draw a large crowd oftentimes by telling people that they are condemned and deserving of God's wrath. We want to focus on the loving side of God, that God is love, that God is merciful, that God is gracious, and God is all of those things. Hear me. He is all of those things, but He's also just. And in His justice, He will not pass over sin, the Scripture teaches us. And so Romans chapter 5 that I read to you earlier in our worship service tells us that one of the roles of the law was to show us all that we are condemned before God and deserving of His wrath. And yet, while we were condemned, while we were deserving of that wrath, God made a way through Jesus that we could be forgiven. 
That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the good news that we preach and we teach and we celebrate. That though you and I were deserving of wrath, God has chosen to forgive us by faith in Jesus when we trust in Him and we are justified. That word is used in the book of Romans, especially Romans chapter 3, Romans 4, Romans 5, that we are justified before God so that it's just as if we had never sinned. And so James's point in writing all of this, we're going to see, isn't just in teaching us about salvation, because James, as I've told you before, James's purpose in writing this letter is not just to teach us, instruct us about theology, instruct us about these doctrines that undergird our salvation, but really his purpose is to show us how we ought to live in, in, in light of these truths, because of these truths. But before we can get to that, we need to first understand this foundational work that James is building. And so I want you to see this with me as we look first at what... What he's talking about here when he refers to the royal law in verse 8, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. And I want us to see that the royal law sets an impossibly high standard for us to attain. When we think about what James means here as he refers to the royal law, it's, it's, it's important that you note this. This is, this is so key. That the, the royal law sets a standard for us that is impossibly high for us to attain. There is no way that you and I could hope to keep the royal law. Now, what does he mean by royal law? Well, we could also call this perhaps the, the supreme law. That, that's another good way to, to understand this, I think, the supreme law. Or, in other words, the, 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 the whole of the law. We might say, if we were talking about this today, we could, we could say maybe the point of the law. And so what James is doing is he's pointing us to this summation that Jesus gives. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is, is confronted and he's asked, Rabbi, teacher, what is the most important law? Which of the laws, of all the laws, what is the most essential law? And Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 is this. Jesus says to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it, Jesus says. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. And so essentially what Jesus is teaching is that the whole law can basically be summarized in this way. Everything else in the law, and there were, there were literally thousands of, of laws, thousands of rules that the Jews were to keep. And Jesus is teaching them that all of the law can be brought down, can be can be really, if, if you want to consider it this, boiled down to these two important points. Love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And so James, writing here about this supreme law, which we often refer to that as the, the great commandment, the great commandment because Jesus says this is the first and greatest commandment. And so we refer to that as the great commandment. And what James is saying is that if you really fulfill this great commandment, this royal law according to the Scripture, he says, you are doing well. But here's the point, right? If you are really fulfilling the royal law. Now, who in here would say that I fulfill the royal law? Who in here could possibly say that, no, I, I, I do this, 
I, I have fulfilled the law. I have never sinned. I have always loved God with everything that I have, and I have always loved my neighbor as myself. Now, there's a lot more to the law, we understand. There are many, many, many other points to the law, but Jesus himself said it can all be, it can all be brought down to this essential truth. And yet what we see is that we fall short even at that. And so the point of what James is teaching us is that we are condemned we are condemned because none of us keep the royal law. See, we learned this. You and I learned that, that our attempts at keeping the law are undermined by our inability to keep the whole of the law. So any attempt that we might make at keeping the law falls short because we cannot keep the whole of the law. We cannot keep all of the law. And verse 10 teaches us clearly that unless we keep the whole law, if we fall at even one point, we stand accountable for all of it. So our inability to fulfill the royal law really exposes our indictment. It leaves us indicted before God by, by his holy standard. And an indictment is a formal charge, right? When someone is indicted on an account, that essentially just means that they are going to have to go now to court. They're going to have to go through the legal process. An indictment is a, a charge that is brought someone. And what this is teaching us is that every one of us stand indicted before God because we fall short of this standard of perfect holiness, even if somehow we could possibly make it through life having only sinned once, which I know that everyone in the room would say that, that was out the window a long time ago, right? That was probably out the window this morning even for a lot of us, right? But even if we could make it through this life somehow and only sin one time, according to what James is teaching us, then that's enough that we would now be held accountable according to God's holy standard. Because God's standard is not just goodness, his standard is perfection. And so your inability to fulfill this royal law leaves you indicted before God, ready to now face these charges that you have sinned and you are deserving of God's wrath. Third, we see this, that your failure to keep the law is met by God's faithfulness to forgive because Jesus took your place. The good news, the good news is that even though you cannot keep the law, even though you cannot keep God's holy standard, God sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on the cross. And so your failure is no match for God's faithfulness to forgive because of Jesus. Your failures, as great as they are, are not enough not enough to overcome God's faithfulness to forgive us through faith in Jesus Christ. And then finally we see that your transgressions can be overcome because God's mercy triumphs over judgment is what this teaches us in verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, God's mercy is greater than your sin. God's mercy is enough to pay the price for the, the wrath, the punishment that you and I deserve. This is the gospel that James is using. This is the gospel that he's, that he's giving us. Though we deserve sin and punishment, because of Jesus, 
We have been set free. But again, James' point is not just in teaching us about salvation, but rather in teaching us how we ought to live in light of this salvation. So, though he, he gives us the, the point here about the royal law, he also refers to the law of liberty. And so the royal law sets an impossibly high standard for us to attain. But the law of liberty brings freedom through Jesus' payment for our sin. The law of liberty, he says here, look with me. Look at, at what he says here in verse 12. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Now, what is this law of liberty? If the royal law was the idea that, that we should love God with all that we have and that we should love our neighbor as ourselves, the, the, the summation of the law, if you will, that Jesus gives us, if that's the royal law, then what is this law of liberty? The law of liberty is the idea that Jesus Christ paid the price for us. The idea that he offered himself up for us. But the point isn't just that we understand what the law of liberty is. The point is that we should live according to this law of liberty. See, oftentimes when we look at this passage, we make verse 10 sort of the hinge, right? And we focus all of our attention on verse 10, which teaches us that if we've fallen short of the law, even at one point, we've become accountable for all of it. But I think that the, the main hinge that this passage swings on is not verse 10, but verse 12. Verse 12 gives us the instruction for what we're to do with this understanding. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Remember last week when we studied the passage and we were talking about favoritism? We were talking about how we ought not to, we ought not to show favoritism, that rather we should look at people and love people the way that Christ has loved us. What this passage is, is pointing us to is that we should speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We should speak and we should act as people who have been forgiven and set free according to the mercy that God has shown us. Warren Wearsby, uh, a pastor and an author, writes this, and, and I think this is so important. This is a simple question, but it points us to what I believe is the, the heart, the, the soul, if you will, of this passage. Wearsby writes, one of the tests of the reality of our faith is how we treat other people. Can we pass the test? See, this passage shows us that one of the tests, one of the proofs, if you will, of your faith is found in the way that you treat other people. So in other words, James is teaching us that if you have been saved, if you have been redeemed, if you have been set free by what he calls here the law of liberty, then it ought to show in the way that you treat other people. We shouldn't treat others with favorites, basing, basing our judgments of them on the outward appearance. Rather, we should live in such a way that we love people with the same love that God has shown to us. What does the gospel teach us? The gospel teaches us that though outwardly we were in sin, though outwardly we were a mess, in our inner hearts while we were condemned and worthy of God's wrath, God made a way for us to be forgiven. 
His mercy triumphs over judgment by faith when we come to Christ. And James' point is that we should live as people who have been set free. So, when we look at other people, especially in our treatment of one another inside of the church, that we should treat each other as God's people. So that when someone sins against you, when someone steps on your toes, when someone rubs you the wrong way, when someone does something that hurts your feelings, you need to be willing to forgive them because you understand that your sin before God was greater. And that in the same way that God has forgiven you, you need to be willing to forgive others. In the same way that God has shown you mercy when you didn't deserve it, you should be willing to show mercy to other people. That's the point that James is teaching here. It's not just about understanding the gospel, but understanding how we live in light of the gospel. And the gospel teaches us that though we were deserving of wrath, we have been forgiven. And so even when others are deserving of our wrath, if you will, what we should give is forgiveness. What we should give is grace. What we should give is mercy in those moments. We have been forgiven. We should forgive others. And that's the point of this passage. That's why favoritism, James is pointing us to this, this, bigger, this bigger picture, right, in, in a context. That's why favoritism is, is such a powerful thing. It's because when we show favoritism, you remember last week we saw that we, we tend to focus on what's on the outside. We tend to focus on a person's past rather than their future direction. When we show favoritism, we look at things outwardly rather than looking inwardly. And the point is this, that when we understand that we have been forgiven of much, we ought not to be so concerned with what we see on the outward appearances or in the outward behavior, but rather focus in on this person is a child of God. And as, a, as another child of God, I want to forgive them. I want to show mercy to them because God has shown mercy and grace to me when I was not deserving of it. This is huge. This is huge in our lives. Because if we really understand this truth, and then if we really begin to put this truth into practice in our lives, it changes everything about how we look at one another. You know, in, in my life, uh, I, I can look at the relationships that God has given me, relationships with friends, relationships with family, relationships with my children, relationship with my wife, and I can look at each of those relationships, and I can see how in each of these, these, these areas of my life, in the relationships that God has given me, how God teaches me about his love for me in the way that I relate to others, because what I learned pretty quickly is that I'm a mess, and I sin against people, and I hurt their feelings, and I, and I do things that I shouldn't, and yet I, I want the people in my life that I love, I want the people in my life that, that I care for, that I hurt, I want them to know that in spite of that, in spite of my failures, that my heart, my desire is, is to, to try to be the man that God wants me to be, and what I need from them is their forgiveness and their mercy in spite of my failures. And that relationship is a two-way street. In the same way that I am in need of that mercy from the people in my life that I love, they're in need of the very same thing for me. And so it's in living in these relationships with one another that we learn such great truths about our relationship with God. 
But the point is that although we need God to be merciful and forgiving with us, God doesn't need our mercy. God is no man's debtor. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He does not need you to show him grace because in his righteousness, in his perfection, Jesus was the only one who's ever met God's perfect standard, and yet he loved us anyway. Because he loved us and sacrificed his life for us, this passage teaches us that mercy triumphs over judgment. So as we begin to understand this truth, as we begin to let this soak its way in to the core of who we are, and and we live with mercy, and we live in forgiveness with one another, it radically changes our lives. Because we are called to love one another the same with the same love that Christ first showed toward us. One of the tests of the reality of our faith is how we treat other people. Can you pass the test? In a moment this morning, we're going to have a time of response. And in our time of response today, our altars will be open. Maybe as you've heard these truths this morning, you've, you've really had to wrestle with the reality that you don't always treat people the way that you should. Maybe as you've, as you've read and, and, and heard this text uh, explained and as we've walked through this, God has really brought conviction in your life that you don't treat others the way that you should because although you expect their mercy and you need their grace, you aren't willing to extend it to everyone that you aren't necessarily willing to show grace and mercy to others the way that they have shown grace and mercy to you. The gospel changes the way that we live. The test of that faith, James is teaching us, are you treating others with the same love that God has perfectly extended to you in Jesus? Maybe some are here this morning, and as we, as we wrestle through this, the thing that has really stood out to you is, is understanding that I've fallen short. There's no way that I can measure up to God's perfect standard. I've tried to be good. I've tried to, for, my, for my good to outweigh my bad, but the truth is that I'm not perfect. I, I could never be perfect. And maybe you recognize today that there's never been a moment in time in your life where you have surrendered your life to Christ, where by faith you have received his forgiveness that you do not deserve and yet that you don't have to deserve because it's given by grace. And today, if that's you, then in this time of response, I pray that you would come forward and that you would take myself, take Brad by the hand, and you would just say to us, I'm ready to give my life to Christ. I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready today to, to receive that, that gift of forgiveness that he's offered for me. as we sing this song and as our altars are open, if God is stirring your heart that you need to treat others the way Christ has treated you, meaning that you need to show the same kind of mercy and love to others that God has given to you, then I would encourage you to come this morning. We would love to pray with you. You can kneel here at the altar and pray. And if you're ready today to surrender your life to Christ, then I beg of you that you would come this morning and that you would that you would. Acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior by surrendering your life to him. You would bow your head and close your eyes with me. I'm going to lead us in a a word of prayer. And after I do, we'll start 
this, this time of invitation, we call it, because we're inviting you to respond in this moment as, as you follow through on what God is leading you to do. Lord God, we thank you that you love us with a love that is perfect. We acknowledge, God, that it's not something that we could earn or deserve. And yet we also acknowledge that because of Jesus, we don't have to earn or deserve it. Lord, you've, you've given it to us as a, a gift by grace if we, will just, if we will just receive it. Lord, if there's anyone here today that's never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, stir their heart, move them to their feet and out into that aisle during this time of invitation that they would come and surrender their life to you. Lord, more than that, I pray that you would move every one of us to the point of action because, Lord, every one of us in this room falls short of loving people the way that we should. Every one of us falls short of showing the mercy to others that has been shown to us perfectly on the cross. Every one of us, God, we recognize falls short of your perfect love. And so, God, as we learn what it means to live like you and to love like you, move us to action. We pray these things now in your name. Amen. As we stand to sing this song together, God is stirring in your heart and you're ready to give your life to him today. Step out, come. If God is moving and he's, he's showing you that you, you need to love like he loves, that you need to be stirred to action so that your actions mimic his, so that your example follows the example that Jesus has set, then I pray that you would come as well today and that you would, that you would just say, God, would you work in my life? We're ready here at the front, ready to receive you this morning as we sing. There is love that came for us, humble.